0: Okay good morning Real Love Church. Um, Guys if you haven't met me my name is Stuart, I'm the leader of the church here and I would love to have been with you this morning but after two years of pandemic COVID has finally got me. I spent the last couple of days in bed, Um, I'm now up and around a little bit. I'm going to record this, it's Saturday morning for me now, you guys are hearing it tomorrow morning on the Sunday Um, and I'm going to go back to bed once I've finished this, still not 100% but I'm well enough to be able to deliver this to you. So what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be going through the next part of our series uh, into his presence in the book of Leviticus. If you've got your Bible, could you go to Leviticus chapter 23? And we've only got two weeks left, so I'm going to do a couple of chapters today, day, three chapters a day, two chapters next week, and then we will be done studying this book, and then we'll be into Easter. And what we've looked at as we've studied uh, the book of Leviticus, we've looked at the big question that it asks: is how do sinful men approach a holy God? And we've looked at that about how uh, the sacrificial system and the appointment of the priesthood and living in ritual purity for God, which then culminated in chapter 16, where we had the Day of Atonement. And then out the back of that, we've been looking at how do God's people live in light of being set apart uh, by God being holy like he is and we've looked at uh, the holiness code which involved sort of the daily holiness of life and then how the priests, particularly should live life holy uh, before the Lord because they ministered and they were the spiritual leaders um, of God's people. And what we're going to be looking at today are some things God put in place for His people um, to remember and to celebrate all of his goodness and also to be reminded of His holiness and that they are a set apart people and when we think about those things, there there's something we do in our kind of modern calendar as well. We have um, uh, events that happen on a, on a year on a yearly basis that remind us about who we are as a people and what's who we are um, as a nation. We have something coming up in just a few weeks. We have the Queen's Jubilee, uh, which will be a national day of celebration where there won't be any work. We'll stop. We'll eat. Uh, we'll enjoy time together, and we will celebrate the fact that we've had a monarch reigning for is it 60 years. Um, and all that that means for us um, as a nation and the history of who we are uh, here in the United Kingdom. We also have these on personal levels. We have a birthday so that every year we celebrate, uh, getting a year older, hopefully getting a year of wiser. Um, and we take a the time there to stop, gifts, food, enjoy it. We also have anniversaries. Um, if you are married and you celebrate that every year to remember what that means. I've actually got my birthday and my anniversary coming up in the next couple of weeks, so lots of time uh, celebrating for me. And what we've got here in the section of Leviticus is we've got things the Lord put in place for his people to remind them who they were as his people, who God was as a holy God who had done so much for them. And we'll see this in three ways. We're going to look at some holy feasts, we're going to look at some holy worship, and we're going to look at the holy land uh, that God gave to his people. So, big idea of um, what we're going to be looking at this morning is that God's people are to remember all that God has done for them and to celebrate his goodness. God's people are to remember all that God has done for them and to celebrate his goodness. So, first section, you've got your Bibles, chapter Twenty-three. Hopefully you've had an opportunity to listen or read through this before we came today, but I'm going to roll through this, chapter 24, then chapter 25. Now, what we've got here in chapter 23 is the most comprehensive treatment of the feasts of Israel that we'll find anywhere in the Bible. There are other places, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Exodus, that mention them, but this is the longest one. And these are appointed uh, times in the year that God spoke to his people and says, you will will celebrate, you will stop on these moments. They're often called, uh, in your Bible, they could be called appointed feasts, holy convocations or holy or sacred assemblies where there are moments where the people of God are to stop, uh, they are to cease from work, they are to come together, they are to remember who God is and to celebrate his Goodness, and uh, what we find is many of these uh, coincided with the agricultural year because uh, Israel at the time was an agricultural nation, growing crops uh, and stuff, and so the, the feasts fitted in with them. And they are a reminder that everything ultimately belongs to the Lord, even time itself belongs to the Lord. And there are seven in this list, there's a bonus eight, but there are seven annual festivals. Um, And they mirror the seven sacrifices we looked at right at the beginning of the book of Leviticus. So with that mirror uh, that I show you on the slide is coming all full circle to the end. So we've got seven festivals to mirror the seven sacrifices that we found at the beginning of the book. The first one is a bonus one, which actually is a weekly um, time to stop, which is the Sabbath. So in verse three, um, God reminds his people that it is the Sabbath is something that is to be celebrated weekly. It's one of the Ten Commandments it is after six days of work you are to have a day of rest and it recognizes that God is sovereign over all things he is sovereign over time it was an act of obedience and an act of faith to trust God to say actually we're going to stop we're going to put things down we're not going to work we're not going to do things and we're going to take a moment to recognize your goodness and your provision and the people of God are to do that on a weekly basis that was the thing that the Sabbath was something that defined the people of Israel And even now the people of God that they was at one time in a week where they will stop and they will come together and they will celebrate uh, the goodness and grace of God, which is what we're doing um, this morning now. And now we're going to the seven feasts, uh, annual feasts. Now, some of these you may know, some of you may be familiar with, other ones you may never have heard of, um, but we'll go through all from the beginning of the year. The first one is the Feast of Passover and the second is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they kind of come together because you have the Passover on one day, which is immediately followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a, a week long after that. And what these were, these were um, these began like in the book of Exodus, if you've read the book of Exodus, or you've seen the film Prince of Egypt, um, when God passed over on the 10th plague, and he killed the firstborn in Egypt, and the people of God put blood on the doorposts, and uh, the, uh, God passed over them, and so to save um, the firstborn in their families, this was a time to remember what God had done and out of that he brought them out of slavery uh, from Egypt they were slaves they were under the Pharaoh the rule of ty- uh, tyrants who had them and God through that set them free he redeemed them and then we have the feast of unleavened bread that came out where they would meet, eat bread with no yeast in because they didn't have time for the bread to rise so they had to meet, eat on the go because they were fleeing the land of Egypt and it was a time to stop and remember what God had done how God had saved them brought them out of slavery and brought them out into the world. Where they were a free people and they were under his uh, rule and his reign. Next one we find there, verse nine, is the ch- uh, feast festival of first fruits, which was a day again a Sabbath where they would stop um, and they would um, uh, they would celebrate God's uh, provision of the harvest. So when the harvest began, the first fruit, the first part of the harvest, would be given to God. Israel was not allowed to eat of the harvest until they'd given the first fruits to the Lord and recognized him as uh, over all things. And so it was a moment to stop and re- remember that God is the one who provides. Uh, it was an act of faith that actually taking the first, the best, and giving it to God, um, like we do with our tithes. You tithe, of you tithe first, and then you give it to him because that's your first, and then you live of what's left. And the people of Israel were to do that in the Festival of First Fruits. That followed then the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, which took place seven weeks after the festival of first fruits so the time um, of the harvest and there was a time of stopping and celebrating and giving offerings uh, to the Lord and there was also built into that an opportunity to serve the poor and the foreigner in the nation by leaving the edge of the fields which we've looked at in previous sermons about leaving edge of the fields unharvested so they could come and it was an opportunity to celebrate that the Lord had provided uh, through the harvest and to stop and give thanks for all that he had done. Uh, Four months after that, we're kind of skipping on into the year, is what they know is the Feast of Trumpets in verse 23. And this happened in the seventh month of the year, which was a sacred number for the people of Israel, the Sabbath Uh, on the seventh day etc etc and um, what happened there on the feast of trumpets the trumpets would be blown uh, no work was to be done and it marked the end of the agricultural year and the beginning of a new one like our guess like our new year's eve new year's day and it was a celebration to look back on all that God had done but also to look forward uh, for his um, provision into the future then we have the day of atonement which we looked at in great detail in a couple of sermons ago which is in chapter 16 of Leviticus where the people of God were to stop and afflict themselves and fast and pray and this was when the high priest went into um, the Holy of Holies to offer uh, atonement uh, for the people of God for their sin Um, and it was a recognition of God's provision to come into his presence that sin had been dealt with uh, by the death of the lamb in their place and the sin was then taken away by the scapegoat and all that that happened and so there was a time for the whole nation to stop and pray and seek the Lord and then we come to the final one um, which was the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles and this happened just a few days after the day of atonement you had three sort of in a row there the the celebrations and again no work was to be done on the day it was a day of stopping a day of resting a day of uh, offerings to the Lord and it was a time of celebration and the unique one of this one was quite funny is that they, um, the people of God had to leave their homes and they had to dwell in booths tabernacles of their own um, that they had built so they would leave their house and in that time they would remember their departure from Egypt and living in the wilderness and the fact that God had brought them out of slavery that he was their God they were his people and they were to be um, holy and set apart uh, to him and it was a time of celebration uh, and fun and so we had there the seven sort of festivals that were throughout the year which were the people for God to uh, be reminded of who God was and what Uh, he had done for them now if we move on to the next chapter chapter 24 we'll have um, holy worship and what we've got here is in the midst of um, the festivals we've got and then in the next chapter chapter 25 there's a couple of other things that come up as a reminder of god people in the middle of that we've got um, the book of leviticus goes back to the fact that in the midst of national uh, festivals yearly festivals where people come together daily worship at the tabernacle was still vital uh, to the people of God. This chapter begins again, the Lord spoke to Moses as a, it's a divine command, um, and it brings up uh, three things. It talks about uh, holy oil, holy bread, and God's holy name. And what the first two, the holy, holy oil and the holy bread, was when, if you went into the tabernacle, you have the sanctuary on the outside, where the altar was and the labor for washing, and then only the priest could then go into the tabernacle. Now, into the tabernacle, you had two items uh, opposite each other on the, on the walls of the tent, and one of them was the lampstand. And the lampstand there, um, people have got reminded that they were to provide oil to keep the light there burning continually they were to bring uh, to uh, the tabernacle the olives to make the olive oil which would then be used to keep the lamp burning and it was a reminder of the fact that God's presence was with his people and they were continually to give to that uh, to mark that as remembrance that God was with uh, his people opposite uh, the lamp on the other side of the tabernacle was a table where they put the showbread and what this was was 12 loaves uh, which represented the 12 tribes of the people of God, 12 tribes of Israel that had frankincense uh, put on them. And this was food for the priests and it was regularly kind of eaten and then replaced. And it was a symbol of the fellowship between God and man. And so we, right within uh, the centre of the people of God and their worship, there was a reminder that God's presence was there, but actually the God also had a relationship with man. He had a covenant with man, and man was to dwell with him and to be with him. And the people of God were to continue that on a daily basis, as well as having national festivals. They were, there was a continual uh, work that they were to go after, the God's presence of worship, of sacrifices, all those things. And then the third thing we get, it's a slightly longer section in chapter twenty-four that's all about God's holy name, and we've seen in the book of Leviticus when it talks about the name of the Lord, it's not just like a name, like someone's personal name. It represents something so more, so much more. It represents their character, uh, their nature who they are and so when we're talking about God's holy name we're talking about all that he is his holiness his loving kindness his gracious his power his sovereignty and this is something that is to be exalted and treated as holy um, above everything else and what you have here is an interesting incident where um, uh, someone one of the people in the camp blasphemes the name of the Lord They blaspheme the name of the Lord. And the question is, well, how are the people of God going to react to that? Because in what they're doing is they're speaking, they're cursing the name of God, who he is and all he's done. So they're cursing his goodness, they're cursing his holiness, they're cursing his sovereignty, they're cursing his power. And the person who was responsible was taken to custody. And Moses then had to go and seek the Lord and say, what do we do about this? If someone has done something so utterly uh, heinous as trying to curse the name of God himself. And what we find there is actually the name of God is holy above everything. The name of God is is the highest sort of representation of who he is and is holiest and should be dealt with in the most severe way. So we find that this blasphemer is actually put to death by the people, which can sound really sort of like severe but if we think back to what happened in chapter i think it was 10 with nadab and abihu the two priests who went blithely into the presence of god into his holiness uh, not caring kind of not following the rules he had gone what happened to them they were just struck dead because the holiness of god is something that we should not um we should not make light of God is holy, he is set apart, he is other. It's the one characteristic that is mentioned in the Bible more than anything else about who God is. And if someone curses the name of the Lord, they face the punishment for their crime. And uh, pulling down the name of the Lord is the ultimate um, thing that is worthy of of God's punishment. So this individual was killed uh, by... The people of God as a reminder of who they were as God's holy people, but also who God was and how how holy He is. And so we've looked at there. We've got the um, the holy uh, feasts. We've got the holy um, uh, worship, and now we've got the final part, God's holy land, which is uh, chapter twenty. Five. Um, now, what we've got here is there are two things in here. Now, Israel was promised the land way back in Genesis chapter fifteen. God spoke to Abraham, said, "This land you're standing on, it, I will give it to you. I will give it to your inheritance." We looked at the taking of the land when we studied the book of Joshua, and here God is giving uh, laws to His people, looking forward to the time when they're in that land and they will be settled there. And there are two things in this chapter: there is the Sabbath year, and then the year of jubilee. Now, what are they about? Well, the first one, uh, the Sabbath year, is uh, based on the weekly Sabbath. So every week at the end of the week, they would rest on their Sabbath, just like God God rested um, in creation as a model. And what that meant for the people of God was every seven years, the land would have a rest, which meant that there were no crops grown. So they couldn't grow their crops, they couldn't uh, harvest their vineyard, they couldn't do anything like that. Um, The animals they had could graze, if anything grew, the animals could graze it. but they were not allowed to uh, till the land. It had to lie. Fallow, and if you think about this, for an agricultural people that rely on the food, this was an act of obedience and also a test of faith because, effectively, it came to that year and they had to trust in the year before that they would have enough to get them through the fallow years where there was no crop growing, there was nothing there. They had to trust God that He would provide, they had to be obedient to His word and say, We're not going to do everything there. And it was God's way of reminding them that the land was His. He gave it to them as trust. It wasn't their land, it was his land that he had given, promised to Abraham and then to the people of Israel and they were to trust him for his provision in that land. It wasn't about them and what they did. It was about God's goodness and God's grace. And so every seventh year they had to stop and they had to rest and say, we will not plant harvest, we will not work the land. And they had to trust that, um, that God would provide for them in that time until the following year when they could plant their harvest and begin the process again. So that was the the Sabbath year. Then we get on to the year of Jubilee. Now the year of Jubilee was the seventh of the sabbatical year. So what you've got, so it was effectively the 50th year. So you had uh, the first seven years where there's a a fallow year, then you have another seven, then you have another seven until you've done that seven times. And the year after that, the 50th year, would be the year of Jubilee. Now, in this year of Jubilee, there would be um, rest, there'd be redemption of property and redemption of slaves. Now, what did this mean? Well, the first thing is meant would be a year of rest. So it would be an extra year where the land would not be harvested, where the land could rest, the land could take a break, which meant when it came to the year of Jubilee, you've just had your sabbatical year, your seventh sabbatical year, where we haven't planted, harvested anything. Then you get another year, the year of Jubilee, said, so well, God says you're not harvesting anything, you're not planting or doing anything like that, and I'm going to provide. So this was, again, a test of faith and obedience for the people of God. They got to rest, and God was saying, this is my land, I will provide for you. You get to work it, but when I say stop, you stop and then you now have to um, trust me to provide for you. And so you'd have the Sabbath year, followed by the year of Jubilee in the 50th one, and then in the the year after, then you could plant your crops again and begin the harvest process. So the the year of Jubilee meant a year of rest on top of the Sabbath year, but it also meant greater than that, it was a redemption of property and a redemption of slaves. Now what this meant is that if um, an Israelite had fallen on hard times, Um, What they could do is they could sell the property, the land that had been given to them. We saw this at the end of the book of Joshua, um, which was um, the land from which they could earn their livings, where they could have their cattle, they could plant their crops. The land represented in fact their job, their income. But if someone fell on hard times, they could sell that land to pay off debt. But what the year of Jubilee meant was that those de- uh, the debt was then paid and the land was then returned to that person. So if you fell on hard times, you became impoverished, you got into debt, there would come a point in Israel's calendar where it would be returned to you. You could not lose the land that God had given you permanently. You could not lose your inheritance permanently because ultimately it would be returned back to you. If you had used it to pay off debt, it would only be for a a finite period of time, however long was left till the year of Jubilee. And depending on how long was left of the year of Jubilee, depending on how much the land was worth, it was only a few years, the land wouldn't be worth a lot. If it was many, many years, it would have been worth a lot more. And so what happened on Jubilee, um, when the trumpet was sounded and the land was then returned to you. So no matter how far you fell, there was always a way out. When Jubilee came, the land uh, was returned to you. And this was a huge deal Uh, for the people of God and uh, that meant that they the inheritance they'd received um, would always be in their family would always be for them and so when we um, studied um, one kings um, last end of last year and we did well with my soul there was a story of Naboth who had a vineyard and the evil king Nahab Uh, Ahab, sorry, came to Naboth and said, I want your vineyard. And Naboth was a noble, a righteous man. And he said, I will not sell it to you. I will not give it to you because it belongs to my family. And this is what he's saying. It belongs in my family. I can't give it to you. It's not yours. And then we we follow the story through. The king uh, with his conniving wife kills Naboth and steals it, which is why he incurs the wrath of God. Actually, You've taken something that was someone else's. It was their inheritance. And that's the whole thing behind uh, why Naboth didn't do it. And it's all wrapped up in this jubilee. It begins, um, it's his family's inheritance. So there was a redemption of property. There's also the redemption of slaves, because if you got into debt, you could sell off your land to try and pay your debt. If you couldn't do that, you were still in debt. The only thing you had left was your ability to actually work. And so what happened is people then sold themselves into slavery to other Israelites, which effectively meant they became hired hands of the more wealthy Israelite, and they would work uh, to pay off their debt. But when the year of Jubilee came, they would be set free. Their debt would have been paid and they were then free to return to their land and to live on that and enjoy joy, all the things that God had given us there. And the slavery that they would have been in Egypt, would have been, uh, sorry, in Israel had been very different to what they'd experienced in Egypt, uh, where they were just under the rule of a tyrant and there was no way out. In Egypt, in Israel, they would have been effectively just an unemployed worker, working off the debt they had. And at the end, when the Jubilee came, they would be able to return to their lands, return to their homes, return to their family property, and effectively start over. So that Jubilee was a way of bringing everything back into balance, where the rich couldn't get richer and the poor couldn't get poorer, and it stopped um, all that um, uh, happening in there. And so what we find if we look and those three chapters as a whole we find that the Lord has built into the very fabric of Israel's calendar opportunities to remember and celebrate his goodness uh, celebrate his grace and his mercy on them to remind them of his holiness and that they were a holy people and and to to bring them to regular opportunities to stop and to still worship him and thank him for all uh, he's done now looking forward Several thousand years to where we are now today, sitting in the hall. What does this mean for us? Well, the best way um, to understand the fulfilment of that is to look to Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate fulfilment of all those things I've talked about today. Jesus is the fulfilment of all the yearly festivals in the life of Egypt. He is our, our Sabbath rest. He is the one who created and ordered time and he gives us rest on a weekly basis and he is the only one where we can find true rest. Jesus is our Passover lamb who died in our place for our sin, took the punishment we deserve. Jesus is our unleavened bread who separates us from the consequences and power of sin. Jesus is the first fruits of the new creation when he rose bodily from death in a resurrection body and said this is what it's going to be like in the future. Jesus is our Pentecost where he is the one who is going to bring in the great harvest and he is the name by which uh, only by that name can we be saved. Um, Jesus is the trumpet sound when the second coming when he returns and ushers in his new kingdom they will begin by the blast of a trumpet and he will burst through the gates of the sky. Jesus is our day of atonement as both great high priest who can go into the very presence of God and perfect sacrifice that brings about our forgiveness and reconciliation to God. Jesus is our tabernacle, our place of dwelling and redemption and blessing where we come to and we find rest And refuge. Jesus is also the object of worship for his people. He is the light that shines with his people. He is the one who is present with us here and now by his spirit, that continual light burning. He is the one who provides daily bread for his people. He is the one who provides for us day in, day out, and gives us what we need for life. Jesus is also the name that is above every name, and only by his name can we be saved. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the greatest name uh, that ever was and ever will be. Jesus fulfills the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee because He is the one who can only provide us rest in this life, true rest. He is the one that we look to, and He is also the one that paid all our debts. He is the one who sets us free to enjoy Him. He is the one who brings freedom in this life uh, and the next, and that is the only place that we will find Him. So, Jesus perfectly and completely fulfills all that we have seen today all that we read about in the book of Leviticus sometimes in part sometimes fully but one day it will be completely pulled together in him when he returns and we will be with him um, forever which is just fantastic news so what does that mean for us daily here now in this place and as God's people we have Means to remember and celebrate all that He has done for us. We do not um, follow the same sacrifices. We've looked at that. We don't follow the same feasts um, that He has done for us. But we have ways that God has put in place that we can remember and celebrate who He is. And if you're a believer here, that is what I want to talk about. But if you're not a believer here, I want to say to you that you need to come to Jesus. You need to put your faith and trust in him you need to cry out to him for be saved to be saved because only through him can you find rest can you find forgiveness of sins can you find hope in this life and a future that is secure and if you're in that situation we'd love to talk to you at the end someone will be down the front who'll come and grab you and talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus to be a Christian but if you are here as a follower of Jesus what can you do to remember and celebrate all that the lord has done for you in your life well there's here's a few things i've got uh, four for you first one how do you do that daily will you read your bible and pray you read your bible and you pray god has left us his word and in that we've all we need for life and godliness all that we need to know about is contained in that book we are to read our bibles daily and to learn from this. Uh, we are running Christmas to the Cross uh, that Matt's been doing where you've got, we're wheeling together as a church through the Gospel of Mark um, I think it's chapter 12 this week, I think I saw on the text, but find out from your Life Group leader where you're up to, read your Bible, come to Life Group to talk about it. We've also got Real Life School, uh, the man and the team are running where you can get into your Bible more, learn more about that, sign up for that, get into there. We are to be a praying people, we are to pray daily. Jesus even left the prayer as a guide for us, the Lord's Prayer. We did a sermon series on it a couple of years ago through, going through, all oh, how this is, when Jesus says, how do you pray? Well, this is it go through this this is our daily kind of um, guide to help us pray we have regular times as a church that we gather which are doing brilliantly we're doing hybrid where we're gathering in homes to pray but also we're meeting up on zoom so we get what we're going to pray for and then we go in our homes and pray together please dial into that um, find out what your life group is doing go to someone's home pray together with us the church so that's our daily reminder and through that we remember who god is what he's done for us, um, we worship him, we praise him, we thank him, we ask for his provision, we ask for breakthrough and so many things. So the number one thing we're to do to remember who God is and celebrate it is we are to read our Bible and pray on a daily basis. Second thing, what? Um, uh, how do we remember and celebrate? Is that is we are part of the church. We are part of the church, which is Jesus' body. Jesus is the head we are the body and this is a weekly outworking because we have the weekly gathering of God's people that you're right here you're a part of and in that we have the bible is taught to all ages Uh, we worship together we respond together what he's doing and through this we come together and we celebrate God's goodness we worship him we're reminded of what he's done for us what he's still doing what he's going to continue to do we come every week um, and I encourage you to do that make it a priority I cannot be with you today because I am ill um, and I'm contagious and I'll probably spread it but if you can get here make it a priority put it above everything else um, when you speak about church speak well of it to others speak well of it because it is Christ's body we are we have a privilege to be part of his beautiful bride create a culture of importance in your families and your your networks when you talk about it actually the church is the place I should be it's what I should be a part of. It's what God's called me to it's God, what God does why Jesus died to bring me into his family. It is our day to stop and remember who God is and what he's done. If you're a Husband here, lead your family. Lead your family to the house of God. Do not be absent and let others lead your family. If you are responsible for children, you're a grandparent or a parent, make it a priority. Get your kids here. We have a cracking kids' work where they talk and they learn so much about Jesus. Talk well about it. Encourage your children. Be excited for what you're doing. Come to be part of the weekly gathering of God's people because when we do that, we remember and we celebrate who god is and all he's done we also have as part of that we have the sunday gathering but we also have the kind of the community life of god's people because god's people is way more than just a sunday morning morning meeting sunday morning meeting is important i think it's vital to the health and growth of the church but actually it's also um the community life we have and we have our life groups uh which um help function and facilitate that if you're not in a life group get in one it's not an option for you not to be in one. It's where we care for you. It's where we look after you. It's where we grow together spiritually. It's where we bounce off one another, learn from one another. Um, this is where we are. It's where we share highs and and lows uh, of life. This week, uh, sorry, the week just gone, I was in my life group, Andrew and Becca's life group. We went to Matt and Jax's house. We ate uh, fish and chips from the chip shop. I don't remember whose idea what that was, but that was a good idea. Uh, We had fish and chips together. We talked about the last chapter in Mark. Uh, We prayed for one another. We shared needs and then we prayed. Uh, It was a fantastic time just coming together and being part of the people of God together. So What God has put in place for us, he's got a Bible and prayer, he's also got the family, the church, where we remember and celebrate on a weekly basis, but also on life together throughout the week as we connect with one another. So that's number one and number two. Number three uh, is baptism. Baptism is just a one-off event that happens uh, in the life of a believer when they become a Christian and they choose to follow Jesus. Jesus himself modelled it. He got baptised uh, by John and then he said to his followers, you do it. You do it yourself and then you tell others to do it and you teach and train them to do it. So if you are um, a not a believer here, baptism is what is for you. You may well have been baptised in other places, great, but if you have never been baptised, we would love to take care of that. With you, we've got a date coming up. I can't remember it right now, so I can't tell you. Uh, and we've got a bunch of people lined up, but it's an incredible opportunity to come and celebrate what God has done in a life, how it's been completely transformed, how someone dies, they go down into the water, die their own way to life, they rise from the grave to new life in Christ, and we get to celebrate, we get to hear from them about what God's done, and that is another opportunity for God's people to um, celebrate and remember how good God is. And number four, last one, is the bread and the wine communion, um, Eucharist, others call it, but it's when we come together and we particularly remember Jesus' death and resurrection until he comes again. We take bread and we take wine, and it is our opportunity to celebrate. We sometimes do it on a Sunday morning, we did it a few weeks back, but the most, place we most often do it is in our life groups. If your life group hasn't done it uh, recently, maybe chat to your life group leaders and do it this week. When you come together and you meet, share bread and wine together and use it as an opportunity to remember what God has done and to celebrate that and say thank you for forgiveness, thank you for freedom, thank you for provision, thank you for all that God has put um, into um, our lives. So there's four things there that we do to remember and celebrate as God's people now. We read our Bible and pray daily. We're part of God's church and part of his community in the Sunday gathering and in life together we get baptized as believers and then we take bread and wine regularly together. Um, I'm going to wrap up now if the band can come back up uh, and start to get sorted. I'll hand over to them. I think Matt's leading worship. Um, They're going to take you on from this to celebrate God's goodness and God's grace. I love you guys. I'm gutted I couldn't be with you today uh, but I hope to see you next Sunday. Thank you.